Well, what is up, uh, Trace Church? Um, he's Aaron, Pastor Aaron's probably a little bit too embarrassed to say this, but um, today is actually his birthday. So can we give it up for <laughs> Pastor Aaron? Yeah, and so uh, he told me this, but he really appreciates awkward side hugs. And so after this, if you would just go find him, give him an awkward side hug, that would be awesome. But uh, we're so glad that you guys are here today. First, just want to welcome any of you that are joining us for the very first time here at Trace, whether you saw our street signs, maybe you got invited by a friend, uh, maybe you've been watching us online. Uh, I just met somebody who's watching online from Gunnison with about 20 other people in a barn, and they decided to make the trek down here today. But what Whatever the case, we're so glad that you guys are here today. Um, also want to say welcome to any of you that are joining us online this morning. Uh, we know that many of you guys are out traveling, enjoying some much needed rest and family time, and so hopefully that's the case, but we're grateful to have you as part of the conversation uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Josiah, and I have the opportunity to be one of the pastors here on staff, and specifically, uh, I get to work with our students here at Trace, and I'm excited today because I get to celebrate something with the whole church, um, and last week, we had our very last you know, programming for the year, middle schoolers and high schoolers. We got to welcome in the upcoming sixth graders. We got to welcome up the upcoming freshmen. And the reason I get to celebrate something with you is last week we had more students than we've ever had before. We had over 80 students here at Trace, which is worth celebrating. So, yeah. And so we're extremely grateful for that. Uh, we know that that wouldn't happen without the student team and the kids team that we have here at Trace. And so uh, really do appreciate that. But as Pastor Aaron said, uh, we have camps coming up. So pray for us, pray for my sanity, uh, pray, just pray that God would work powerfully in those moments because we, we really are excited for what God's gonna do through those camps. But today we are kicking off a brand new series, as you just saw, called What Makes Jesus Mad? Uh, what makes Jesus, or what made Jesus mad? And depending on who you are and how your story reads, that kind of title or that kind of statement may hit you a little bit differently. That maybe for many of you, you hear that title, What Made Jesus Mad? And immediately some walls start to go up. That maybe you've been following Jesus for a really long time now, and you hear that title, What Made Jesus Mad? And your first thought is like, who does this guy think he is? That he can stand up on stage and he can say, you know, Jesus got angry, Jesus got mad, because isn't it a sin to get angry? Isn't it a sin to get mad? And Jesus never sinned, so how did he get angry? What is this guy talking about? And if that's you this morning, I would tell you, like, thanks for your concern. I uh, really do appreciate it. But at the same time, I want to let you know that we don't believe it is a sin to get angry. And I think Paul, he makes it abundantly clear in his letter to the Ephesians. Um, he says, in your anger, do not sin. And then James comes along later and he backs him up and he says, everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry. Not never angry, but slow to become angry. That anger is not a sin. But oftentimes where our anger leads us is to sin, that it causes us to do some things that we otherwise wouldn't. And so when we talk about Jesus getting angry, uh, that's what separates us from Jesus is Jesus never allowed his anger to lead him to sin and never allowed uh, his anger to lead him to do something that went not only against what God said, but also against 
who God is. But this morning, just to do due diligence, just in case you still don't believe me, uh, I would encourage you, go back through the Gospels, read all of Jesus's words, and try to do it with a smile on your face and see if it really sounds sincere. Because it's really hard to call someone a child of hell or a spawn of Satan with a smile on your face. It's really hard to say, hey, you should go tie a boulder around your neck and jump into the ocean and drown yourself uh, while smiling. Like, I don't think Jesus was smiling during these moments. I think he was really, really angry. And so over the course of this series, we're gonna look at some of those moments to see what we can learn, try to avoid some of those pitfalls. And so maybe for you this morning, you know, those walls went up pretty quickly and I just wanna help you bring them down just a little bit. But maybe for you, you haven't been following Jesus. Maybe you've actually probably been avoiding him, that either you've strayed away or you've stayed away from places like this one here. And maybe for you, uh, you know, you come in and you hear that sermon series title of, you know, what made Jesus mad? And same thing, walls, they start to go up. Because you know the answer to that question. What made Jesus mad? That in your mind, the answer to that question is me. You know, I've made Jesus mad. That somewhere along the way you came into a church like this building or you came into a place like this and you heard somebody like me stand up on a stage like this one while you sat in a seat like this one and for the better part of an hour they yelled at you. And they told you all the reasons why Jesus was mad but specifically why he was mad at you. That you aren't good enough. That you don't give uh, enough that uh, you don't live your life the right way, that you're too gay, that you're too rich, you're too poor, you're too stupid, you're too single, that you're divorced, that you're a Republican, that you're a Democrat, that you're too broken, too messy, too far gone to ever deserve a relationship with Jesus, to ever belong in a place like this. And because of that, Jesus is mad at you. And you hear the sermon series title of what made Jesus mad and immediately walls, they start to go up. And if that's you this morning, can I first just say, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry on behalf of some other Christians that have talked to you that way and treated you that way. But this morning, if you'll let me, I also want to challenge you a little bit. And I want to challenge you with this particular statement right here. And if I were you, I would write this statement down. But it's don't judge the character of the leader by the incompetency of its followers. Don't judge the character of the leader by the incompetency of its followers, meaning don't judge the character of Jesus, the movement of following Jesus and Christianity by the incompetency of some of its followers. That truly, I am sorry for the way people have treated you. That's not how it's supposed to be. But I can, can I just challenge you this morning, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or avoiding him for a long time, can I just challenge you this morning to let the walls come down? That over the course of the series, let's not bring those walls back up because I think when we choose to look at the things that made Jesus mad, I think you're gonna be surprised. But I also think there's a lot to learn of how we can follow him better. And so over the next several weeks, that's exactly what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at some of the occasions that Jesus got angry, some of the occasions that Jesus got mad to see what we can learn from them. But today I wanna to focus on two specific occasions, uh, two specific instances that caused Jesus to get mad for the exact same reason. And the reason he gets mad in these occasions, I'll just spoil it right now. Um, the reason he gets upset is because people were putting up obstacles for other people that were trying to get to Jesus. They were putting up these obstacles for other people trying to get to Jesus. So we're going to look at these two occasions, starting with the first one, which can be found in Mark chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, turn them open, turn them on. Mark chapter 3, that's where we're going to be. 
here in a second. But many of you guys who've been coming here for a long time, you know this about me, but like I was not the easiest child to raise. Like I was not the most fun for my parents to raise. I was a huge smart aleck. Uh, whenever I was a kid, you know, I was scrawny, I was skinny, wasn't very strong, I got bullied a lot for that. And because of that, it forced me to learn how to use my words really well and really quickly. And while obviously this is a benefit for me now in my life, because most of my job is talking to people, most of my job is using my words. Whenever I was a kid, like I can assure you, this was not something my mom would say was a blessing, right? Like this was not something she was super grateful for because like I was awful to my mom. Like she'd ask me to do something, I'd talk back. She, she'd ask me a question and I'd argue with her. She'd ask for a yes mom or a yes ma'am and like never out of my mouth, right? Like I was not good to my mom and so she would punish me and she would punish me various different ways. She would spank me, she would wash my mouth out but my least favorite punishment was she would take a rag and she would soak it in vinegar and I hated the taste of vinegar. She would soak it in vinegar and she'd rub it all on my teeth, rub it all on my gums, rub it all on the inside of my lips and my mouth so that no matter how many times I like brushed my teeth. It didn't matter how much Listerine I tried to consume. Like I could always taste the vinegar. And like to this day, I still hate the taste of vinegar. Okay. But like I was awful to my mom, but one of my favorite things to do with my words, and you're going to judge me pretty quickly for this, but one of my favorite things to do with my words was to try and trap people in their words. And you guys are like, yeah, that you're exactly the person I would never want to be around. <laughs> and uh, my mom probably thought the same thing, but uh, I would do this mostly to my mother. And so I had a specific phrase that I would use often um, that would get me into trouble, uh, that whenever we started an argument, I knew this is how I would win the argument. And so if there's any students or kids in the room, the reason I'm putting that in quotations is because you never actually win. Uh, you actually get in a lot more trouble and it's actually not good for you. So whenever I would try to win the argument, I would use this statement and my mom would say something and I would say, you always have to have the last word, don't you? And then I'd just wait. And then she'd say something and I'd be like, see, pr prove me right. You know, you always have to have the last word. And we go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until eventually uh, she should have slapped me. But eventually she would say, uh, you're right, I do. And here's the last word. You just wait till your dad gets home. And immediately, like I would shut up because my mom's, you know, spankings, they were bearable. My dad's were not. Uh, I learned very quickly that those hurt a lot. And so I should change the way uh, that I speak to my mother. However, the reason I tell you this story, uh, one, is because I should have been slapped or disciplined more as a child, but two, the reason I share this with you is because this is exactly the kind of thing that the Pharisees or the religious elite, the people who know uh, the word of God the best, this is exactly what they try to do to Jesus. They try to trap him in his words in this passage. And so before we jump into this passage, one thing you need to know is that on this day, it's Saturday. That whenever this is occurring, it's Saturday. And in Jewish culture, that meant that it was Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to work. That they had very strict rules of how far you could walk. Uh, they would prepare their meals a day in advance so that they wouldn't have to do it on the Sabbath. There were very strict rules of this is work and this is not. And you did not violate the Sabbath. And so all these Pharisees, they know, okay, it's the Sabbath day. We see Jesus coming this way. We're going to get him. Here we go. And so that's how we kind of set this scene up. But this is what happens in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, so Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, they watched him closely. That if he healed this man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And you're like, guys, you're, you're trying too hard here. But okay. And so Jesus, he knows that they're going to try to trap him. And so Jesus does what Jesus does best. 
that he turns the situation around on them. And so he has this man with the deformed hand. He has him stand up in front of everybody. And then he asks the Pharisees and the rest of the crowd, he asks them this question. It says this. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And what's funny here is like the answer is clear. Is this a day to do good or is this a day to do bad? The clear answer is this is a day to do good. Yet nobody answers Jesus. And rather than waiting for an answer, Jesus instead, he gets mad and it says this, that he looked around at them and what? In anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And it was at this moment that the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That in this moment, Jesus, he got angry. He got mad. Why? It wasn't because the Pharisees were trying to trap him. He'd experienced that before. It wasn't because nobody answered his question. That's kind of the reason he asked the question. It wasn't even because they were treating this man unjustly. No, the reason Jesus got angry in this moment is because these religious elite, these people that were supposed to know the character of God the best, It was those people that put up an obstacle for someone who was desperately trying to find their way to Jesus. That they cared more about the rule than the reason behind the rule. That following the rule to them was more important than helping somebody find Jesus. And so Jesus, he gets mad. And that this rule got in the way of this man's relationship with Jesus. And I'd love to tell you like this is the last time something like this happens in scripture. But it's not that we might expect something like this from the Pharisees who have a lot of pride and are wrapped up in a lot of their ego. Um, But the next time this happens is in Mark chapter 10, and it doesn't happen with the Pharisees. It happens with Jesus' very own disciples. And so I want to share that story with you as well, that in Mark chapter 10, you know, Jesus, he's teaching to these crowds. He's teaching to all these people, and then it says this. And so people were bringing little children to Jesus, and they wanted him to place his hands on them to bless them. But the disciples, instead of letting it happen, they tell these kids to stop. And when Jesus saw this, he was angry. He was mad. And so once again, here we have Jesus teaching this crowd of people at this point in Jesus's ministry. He's become quite a popular teacher. And so all these people are coming from all over uh, the country, all over the place to hear Jesus speak. But a part of this crowd is like all these helicopter parents that are bringing their children to Jesus to get them a participation trophy from Jesus so that Jesus will bless their kids. And knowing that Jesus is a really busy guy and he has limited time and he's trying to communicate, the disciples, they jump up and they spring in to action and to try to stop this whole thing from happening. And one thing you need to know about kids in that day, in this period of time, is that they had a whole lot less rights than kids do today. But not only that, it was a well-known fact that kids were terrible terrible at keeping secrets back then. Um, Like, you know, you knew that if you wanted something to stay a secret, you didn't share it while there were children around. And like, we get this today, right? Like kids are still pretty bad at at keeping secrets because how many times has it happened uh, where you share something that very clearly was not supposed to be repeated in public, um, but you said it in front of your kid and then like you're out in public and lo and behold, at the least opportune moment, the kid that's so shy of everybody decides to speak up and it, it comes out kind of like, my mommy thinks you've gained some weight. Or, you know, my daddy thinks you're bad with money. Or my mommy thinks that your kids are menaces because you don't know how to parent. And you're like, what are you saying? And it's like, oh, I never said that. And it's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> they just repeated it uh, after you. Kids are bad at keeping secrets, right? 
And they are now, and they were back then. Um, and the reason they were, you know, this was such a thing back then was because kids were given unrestricted access. Unrestricted access to uh, the village, unrestricted access to the living quarters. And so that allowed them to kind of go around, roam around and eavesdrop on people and, you know, hear those things and then share those things with other people. People even exploited kids in that way because they knew that the kids would have access where they didn't. And so when the disciples, when they start shooing all these kids away, when they start like seat belting these kids and saying, look, he's talking, he's busy, it's not because the disciples hate kids. No, they're trying to protect Jesus. That by doing this, they're both trying to protect his time, but also his reputation. That they knew if some of the teachings, some of the things that Jesus is saying, if those things were to get out, then Jesus would have died a whole lot sooner than he did. And so this continues to happen. And when I think about, uh, you know, the disciples and I think about what they're doing and the role they're playing, like if I'm being completely transparent, I, I probably would have done the same thing. Like genuinely, I probably would have done the same thing. So why does Jesus get so mad? Because just like before, he's watching people that should have known him really well. He's watching them put up these obstacles for other people, these children that are trying to get to Jesus. And while this time they're not like trying to trap Jesus, they're trying to protect him. But they're barricading other people from trying to get in a relationship with Jesus and that's a problem. And it makes Jesus mad. And so how does Jesus respond here? Uh, he, he takes these kids and he uses them as an object lesson. And he uses them as an object lesson for people who are new to the faith, people who are just coming on board. And while he may have been smiling during the first part of this, uh, I don't think he was smiling the whole time. He says this, uh, he says, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this, someone new to the faith on my behalf, they're welcoming me. And we, and we read that and we're like, oh, that's cute. But then he says, but if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, uh, who trust in me to fall into sin, to put up an obstacle in front of them, he says, it would be better for you to have a large millstone, a huge boulder tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And you're like, whoa, Jesus, chill. Like that escalated very quickly. That's really harsh. And once again, I don't think Jesus was smiling when he said that. And obviously there's a little bit of hyperbole, a little bit of exaggeration, but Jesus' intentions are clear. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we are called to remove obstacles for people trying to get to Jesus, not put them up. That blocking the way of Jesus, whether intentional or unintentional, guys, that's serious business. And it's the very thing that made Jesus mad. And so what does this have to do with us today? What does this look like for us today? Because yes, this happened a long time ago, but the truth is we still struggle with this today. That yes, we don't go around trying to trap Jesus in his words. Yeah, like, yeah, we don't celebrate the Sabbath anymore, uh, most of us. That yes, like, we have an awesome kids ministry. We're not like barricading children from getting to Jesus. What does this actually look like for us today? Because oftentimes, sometimes without even knowing it, we as followers of Jesus, we get in his way. And we start coming up with all these rules we start coming up with all these, this fine print to the gospel. That we say, hey, if you really wanna be in a relationship with Jesus, then you need to give this much. That you need to attend this many things, that you need to be a part of a group, you need to be on a team, you need to go to the women's ministry, you need to go to the men's ministry, you gotta go to the parenting class. You can't miss a Sunday of church and only then can you have a relationship with Jesus. That if you have tattoos, like I'm sorry, you're out. That if you smoke weed or, or if you drink too much, I'm sorry, you're out. 
And if you aren't married with 2.5 kids and six-figure income, then I'm sorry, we don't have room for you here at this church. And we self-designate ourselves as bouncers for Christ. And we try to block the way for people to get to Jesus. And we make people believe that they can't have a relationship with Jesus because, you know, they're not straight enough or they're not masculine enough, or they're not white enough, or you know, from a scale of good to bad, like they scored a six, and, God, and Jesus only has time for eights, nines, and tens, and so I'm sorry you didn't make the cut. And we say things to people like, hey, once you get your ducks in a row, once you cross all the T's, dot all the I's, hey, once you find every place uh, for every piece in the puzzle that is your life, then maybe, just maybe, you might deserve a relationship with Jesus. And we begin to put up obstacle after obstacle after obstacle for people that are desperately in need of a relationship with Jesus. And guys, when we do that, and I need you to let this sink in, when we do that, we're making Jesus mad. We are. And before I go any further, I want to be clear and say there is a difference between putting up obstacles and removing opinions or holding opinions. That there's a difference between obstacles and opinion. That an obstacle is anything that gets in the way of people receiving God's love or receiving a relationship with Jesus. And here at that, this church, we call that legalism. And I'm telling you, we're committed to walking that to the door every single time that we see that here in this church. That to be absolutely clear this morning, when it comes to what the gospel is, who it's for and who it's not, I need you to burn this into your brain. That no one, not some people, not a couple people, but no one, is exempt from uh, God's love or relationship with Jesus. No one. That perhaps one of the most well-known verses in scripture is John 3.16. Many of us know that verse. We have it committed to memory, but I also think it's one of the most overlooked verses in the Bible because of that. And it says, God so loved who? The world. Not just part of the world, not just half the world, not just the American Western side of the world. God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son that anyone, not some people, not just the people who had their lives together, but anyone who believes in him will not die but have eternal life. That guys, we put up obstacles whenever we add fine print to that verse. That no one is exempt from God's love. No one is exempt from a relationship with Jesus and an, an obstacle is anything other than that statement. Anything other than that statement. An opinion, on the other hand, is just that. It's opinion. Oh, you know, the worship music's too loud. That's an opinion. Oh, you guys don't preach verse by verse through the Bible. That's an opinion. Oh, it's too dark in here. It's too bright in here. You guys meet too early. You need to meet at a later time. Hey, have you thought about a Saturday night service? Hey, our kids, they need to memorize more scripture. Hey, for your student ministry, you ever thought about a lock-in? You should do a lock-in. We are not ever going to do a lock-in here at this church. I'm just telling you, those things, those aren't obstacles those are opinions. And so when we say as a church, we wanna remove every single obstacle for people that are trying to get to Jesus, we're not talking about removing opinions. We're saying we wanna do everything that we can to make sure everybody knows that statement is true, that no one is exempt from God's love and no one is exempt from a relationship with Jesus. And let me be clear and say this as well, that when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you should expect your life to change. That Jesus is gonna ask some things of you that your life should change drastically compared to when you didn't follow Jesus. That sin should lose its appeal in your life over time. But far too often, we as a church, we've gotten this wrong. 
And we've added qualifiers to that statement, but we want to do everything we can to prove that that statement is true. No one's exempt from God's love. No one's exempt from a relationship with Jesus. Yet far too often, churches have gotten this wrong. Individuals have gotten this wrong. And I'm being honest with you, as a pastor at this church, guys, I've gotten this wrong. And if I can be really transparent with you this morning, I would tell you that over the course of this week, like God has convicted me a lot in this area. But he's convicted me a lot about the obstacles that I put up for other people. Most often, uh, people that don't even know I'm doing that. That for me, it's not like a race thing. It's not a political thing. It's not, uh, you know, an age thing. Now that if I'm really being honest with you this morning and you're about to get to know me really quickly, that for me, I have a really hard time with poor people. And not just poor in a financial sense, but poor in the sense of influence. It's not like I don't have time for them. It's not that I don't care about them. It's not that I don't see them as valuable. I'm talking about whenever I pass them on the street and I see them holding their sign, begging people for help. You know what my first thought is? It's not, man, I should really go help that person. It's not, oh, I should go introduce myself. That person looks like they could use a friend. It's not, oh, they could benefit from knowing Jesus. It's not, oh, I should invite them here to trace. No, you wanna know what my first thought is? Wow, that guy is really lazy. Like, go get a job, dude. Quit taking money from other people. Or I think, man, she got herself into that mess. She should be able to get herself out of that mess. This is not my responsibility. That the last thing we need at this church is more freeloaders. And I'm like, Josiah, are you serious? Like, that is disgusting. Like, I hate that side of my life. I hate that part of my soul. Because I know for a fact that is not how Jesus sees these people. And over the last week or so, I've had to get down on my knees and repent of that. And say, God, remove this from my life. But I also know I'm not alone in that. That maybe it doesn't look the same for you, but I know that we all have the propensity to do this. That we all have the ability and oftentimes we all follow through on it to put up obstacles for people that are trying to get to Jesus. And so what I'm telling you this morning is starting with me here at this church, here at Trace, that cannot happen here. That cannot happen here. That I believe one of the most like hardest things that you can do as a human being is to truly be honest with yourself. That if we want to be the kind of church that removes obstacles for people trying to get to Jesus, it starts by looking at our own lives, taking an honest look at ourselves, doing some soul searching and saying, God, remove these things from my life because I have some obstacles that exist in me that are affecting other people who are trying to get to you. And we're gonna have to take a deep look and expose some of the darkest places in our soul and expose some of the fine print that we're adding to the gospel because the truth is we all, we all do this. And maybe for you, you know, we all do this in different ways, but maybe for you it's pretty obvious that it wouldn't take much time to do this. That when you look at your life, when you sit down and you ask God to expose some things in your life and you really allow yourself to go there, if you're being really honest, like there's some racism that exists in you. That, that because of some experiences you've had or some unfair presuppositions that you have, like there's some deep-rooted prejudice in your life that you'd never say it out loud. Never say it out loud. But if people don't look like you, they don't talk like you, if they don't act like you, then you don't like them. 
And you don't have the time of day for them. And maybe for you, it's just simply not taking the time to sit down with someone who's different than you and listen to their story. And for whatever reason, we can get to a place of pride where we think, you know, we deserve God's love more than someone else just simply based off the tint of our skin. Guys, and what I'm telling you this morning, that cannot happen here. That cannot happen here. Maybe for you, it's not racism. Maybe for you, it's which political party that you ascribe to. That you're really proud to be a Republican. You're really proud uh, to be a Democrat. And oftentimes we can get to a place where we overlook people just so that people know that we're right. Guys, the amount of arguments I've seen on social media in the last two weeks, it makes me so sad that we just held a moment of silence for you know, a huge tragedy. And so quickly people overlook every single one of those lives and just jump to the argument. Guys, when we do that, we're putting up obstacles for people that are trying to get to Jesus. And that cannot happen here. That cannot happen here. And maybe for you, it's neither of those things, but maybe for you, it's a little bit more subtle than that. And maybe you're like me and you have this internal dialogue with yourself and it's rooted in your pride. And you say things in your head like, oh man, that girl has too many tattoos. What is she doing here? Or you say things like, oh, I heard he started smoking uh, you know, a ton of weed. Or we think, you know, these teenagers, they'll never learn. Or we think, start spreading rumors, start spreading gossip, and we say, you know, did you hear she got pregnant? They're not married. Or did you hear she got uh, an abortion? Did you hear he came out uh, as gay? You know, I can't believe the movies they allow their kids to watch. I can't believe the music that they listen to, the clothes that they allow themselves to wear, especially into a place like church, like this. They, they wore that to church. That that person is too broken, too messy, too far gone to have a relationship with Jesus. And in an instant, guys, we put up obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and we make Jesus mad because here's the truth and this needs to sink in for you. This is the truth. None of us, not a single one of us, deserve a relationship with Jesus. That the ground is level at the foot of the cross and you guys are the ones who put Jesus on the cross and I'm the one who put Jesus on the cross, that it is only through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we have any kind of shot of experiencing a relationship with Jesus and experiencing God's love. And when Jesus went and he died on the cross, he took all of the things that separated us from him. He took all the things that exempt us from his love, from a relationship with him, and he made those things void. That he took the pride, he took the prejudice, he took the sin, he took all of those things and he made them void. Jesus, he gave us a clear path to him for anyone, not just some people, but for anyone that chooses to follow him. That no one is exempt from God's love. No one is exempt from a relationship with Jesus. And this is a strong statement, but I believe it's true. That when we put up obstacles for other people who are desperately trying to get to Jesus, what we're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross, it wasn't enough. And guys, that's dangerous territory to walk on. And what I'm telling you this morning is that cannot happen here. That as a church, we wanna remove obstacles for people trying to get to Jesus, not put them up. And so this morning, we're gonna go ahead and transition uh, to a time of response. And if you're new here, we do this every single week, and this is just an opportunity to stop and to focus on Jesus, focus on the cross, focus on what God did for every single one of us in this room today. 
And it's an opportunity to stop and just be grateful that Jesus went to a cross and he cleared the path for us. And so all around the room, you're gonna see these tables uh, with some crackers and some juice. And like I said, that's just an opportunity to remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. But today I wanna do it a little bit differently. That before we go and experience the cross, I want you to take some time in your seat. That as a church, we wanna continue to practice the ongoing ethics of confession and repentance. But listen, I know this about myself and I'm guessing it's true about you all that most of us are like the rest of us, that you have some deep, dark corners of your soul that need to be exposed. That you've either intentionally or unintentionally been putting up obstacles for other people that are desperately in need of a relationship with Jesus. And listen, that cannot happen here. And so I want you to have a conversation with God to ask him to expose those things to ask him as David says in Psalms, search my heart, O God, and reveal some of these things, God, that, that don't need to be there. And repent of those things and ask for forgiveness and then go experience communion. And so this morning, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I wanna encourage you to do that. But for others of you in here, you, you don't follow Jesus. You've never made that decision. That whether you've never heard, whether uh, somebody never came along and told you about him, or maybe for you, somebody like me stood up on a stage and like encouraged you to avoid Jesus for whatever reason. And what I'm telling you this morning is this is the perfect opportunity to recognize that no one is exempt from God's love. No one is exempt from a relationship with Jesus. That if you wanna make that decision today, guys, we want to do everything that we possibly can as a church to remove every obstacle that exists in your life so that you can have a relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, I wanna invite you to make that decision. That on the sides of the stage, we have these towels and this is just an opportunity uh, for you to you know, lose the fight, to surrender your life to Jesus, to, to make him the leader and Lord of your life. And so if that's the decision you wanna make, you can come grab a towel and take it out to next steps. And we'd love to talk to you about what that decision could look like in your life. But for the others of you today, you walked through those doors, looking for some help, looking for some hope, looking for some healing. That life is just too big for you to handle on your own. And if that's you, we'd love nothing more than to partner with you in prayer. And so if there's some things in your life that you need prayer for, some things uh, that are too big for you to handle, we'd, we'd ask you to go back to the prayer station in the back and fill out a prayer request form. And we'd love nothing more than to partner with you in prayer. Guys, as a church, we wanna remove obstacles so people can get to Jesus, not put them up. And so I don't know how you need to respond this morning, but I'm gonna pray and then ask that you do. Pray with me. God, thank you for being a God that did go to the cross. That God, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve a relationship with you. We don't deserve to be here today talking about this. But God, because you sent your son for each and every single one of us, we now have a shot. And God, I know you've drastically changed my life. God, you've exposed some things in my life that I've needed to uproot. And so God, I'm asking that you do that uh, for the people in this church. That God, you take the messy, nasty, disgusting parts of our lives and you remove them. And you get them so far away from us, God. But then for the people who haven't made the decision to follow you, God, I pray that you would speak so loudly that they can't ignore you. That this would be a thin space for, for them, uh, an opportunity to see you in a new way, God. God, we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.